0: Welcome to the Google Teacher Tribe Podcast, your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com. right, folks, I don't know if you realize this or not, but we have a recurring theme going as we're kicking off these episodes, and sadly, that theme (laughs) has to do with the bathroom. (laughs) So we talked about learning on the loo last week. And then this week, you're about to hear this fantastic guest that we have this week named Joe Marquez. And Joe was just telling us about this really interesting sort of like competition that his students are doing in this technology class that he happens to call his Tony Stark lab, which I think is the coolest name for a class ever. Oh, yeah, that's the coolest ever. Yes, yes, definitely. And so the the contest is that they had to come up with a creative bathroom pass that could be 3D printed. So as you can probably imagine, there were lots and lots of possibilities. I'm going to leave this as just a little bit of of a teaser for you. If you want to see what the winning one looks like, you got to go to our show notes. So head over to GoogleTeacherTribe.com slash 24 to be able to check it out. But I think this is a pretty cool competition.
1: I think so. The fact that he made it competitive, he built in, you know, STEM. They're, They're doing their 3D printing. They're doing their designing. And he's sharing it like he shares everything and, and you guys are gonna love the interview with Joe. In fact, uh, so much so that we actually had to cut a couple of our other segments short in this episode. but that's okay. there, there wasn't anything really big that we needed to cover. So um, So inside this episode, we have a fantastic interview with a, a fellow Google certified innovator, Joe Marquez. And you guys are going to love him. He, he, he drops some knowledge bombs that uh, we just couldn't even interrupt. We just want you to, to get every little morsel that Joe has to offer today. We also have a, a little bit of feedback and some questions from our listeners. And we just have some fabulous resources and a lesson from Joe that we're going to share as well. So you ready to get started,
0: Matt? Let's go. All right, folks, so in a week where we don't have a ton of Google News, Casey and I scoured the GT Tribe hashtag and all of the places that we look, and we were able to salvage two little morsels for you. If you're a big fan of Google Keep, like Casey and I both are, then when you change the color of a Google Keep note, there used to be, I'm pretty sure there used to be eight different colors, Now you've got 12. There are 12 colors you can choose from. You have red, orange, yellow, green, teal, blue, dark blue, purple, pink, brown, and gray. So for all of you that love doing your color coordination and your organizing in Google Keep, now you have even more options
1: big, huge update. More colors in Google Keep, but that makes teachers happy. So it's the little things, you know? Yeah, it's the little things. So the other thing we have to share is actually pretty pretty tiny, literally tiny as well. But if you have been inside Google Docs, Slide Sheets, etc., you may have noticed the toolbar looks just a little bit different. And Alice Keeler actually did a, a smart little blog post on the toolbar icons in Google Apps, and essentially they have just gotten a little makeover. They they have a, a new look and feel. I think they're sort of updating the interface a little bit here, but they still accomplish the same tasks in terms of you know bold, italics, and linking and aligning your text and things like that. But you know sometimes you do you do need a refresh on on the look and feel, and so I, I have a feeling there's probably a few more things to come. But you will notice that as you go through um, the various apps in G Suite.
0: There you go. So little touches, new little things that you may or may not have noticed in some of your new Google tools. So go enjoy those.
1: Okay, y'all, I am super excited. Today we have Joe Marquez with us, Uh, someone who is near and dear to the Google Teacher Tribe, and Matt and I especially, we have uh, experienced a a lot of different things things through joe and learned a lot from him and i'm excited because joe is the first science teacher that we have had on the podcast and he comes to us from the california area the clovis unified school district where he is an eighth grade science teacher and an instructional technology tosa so welcome joe we are excited to have you on
2: thank you so much i you know it's phenomenal to be here and surprised to hear i'm your first science teacher wow <laughs>
1: Well, you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that we, we hit all of the core areas and make sure that we, we give a little bit of something for everybody here. But, you know, let me just say, Joe, now... Your bio is 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 quite extensive, and I I want to be sure that everybody knows some of what your bio says at least. And your full bio will be available in the show notes, of course. But especially want to mention that you are also a Google Certified Innovator.
2: Yep, absolutely. I'm uh, super proud to be a part of it, and you know one of the the best cohorts that uh, you know the uh, academy's ever had. Absolutely. Course, I totally idea.
1: agree. Right? Yeah. Right? G-
2: we sort of joke.
1: That,
0: we sort of joke that we were the last one. We kinda of like broke the mold before they changed it to Google certified innovator instead of Google certified teacher because because our group was so great, right? Right, right. We we totally broke the mold. Well, um, Joe is also a Google
1: certified trainer and certified educator, level one and level two. He's uh got this w- list of awards that i can't even believe here uh mr q Rockstar teacher faculty q lead learner you just won a couple of pretty outstanding awards both from cvq and from clovis is that correct
2: yeah, you know, and, and the, all of those, you know, it's, 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 you know, they give you a little plaque and stuff, but the, the whole, the whole purpose, the purpose of those and, and, and the reason I'm proud of them is because it was the students that kind of stepped up and said, look what our teacher is doing. We don't get this in any of our other classes. Look what he's allowing us to produce. Um, you know, so it, I, I, I take pride in those awards because it's the students who really shine out of the outcome of those.
0: Ah, uh, that's a good answer. Aww, that's, yeah. yeah.
2: Very, very good. Yeah. I love
0: that. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I was reading in some of the information you've provided with us. um, Because a lot of times, a lot of times we like to ask um, our guests, how they got into Google and what kind of like was your Google spark moment. And if I read this correctly, you said you weren't even really looking to get into Google. Is that is that about could you kind of clarify that?
2: Yeah, you know, whenever I whenever I jump into something, um, my mind's completely open. Whatever's going to work for my kids, I'm going to take a look at. And, you know, there was a lot of things out there, and this was way back in 2010. Now, I guess, you know, that's not way back, but it's quite a bit of time ago. And, you know, I was actually one of those teachers that hated technology. And people always look at me and go, really, you, the Google guy on campus, you hated technology? And, and, it, and yeah, I, I thought – to me, it was going to be a distraction. You know, I, I had the idea that I was supposed to be center stage. I'm the one who's talking. I'm the one that's going to inspire these kids. And it was all about me, 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 me. And um, when they would say, hey, look at this cool app we can use in class. Look at this. And I go, no. Cell phones have no purpose in the classroom. Put them away. If I see them, I'm taking them out. And I even went as far as going online searching for a cell phone signal blocker and i found one from china and i had it imported over and i turned that thing on and the kids were like how come our cell phones never work in class and it it was it was it was more of a hassle to find ways to skirt their technology use than to embrace it and you know it took one of the teach one one of the students to say say tell me you know this is our lives you know, we, we, you know we, we communicate on these devices outside of class. Why can't we com- communicate with them inside of class? And I really took that to heart. I go, you're absolutely right. I should be leveraging the power that you have in your pocket, not keeping it from you. And so I started looking for tools that can work on every device. Because I didn't want, because we, we're not a one to one school or a one to one district. And it was just basically BYOD. And I, I searched and searched, and Google, I came upon Google. Google. And I was like, this is only used for Gmail. What is this Google in the classroom that I keep hearing about? And I fell upon Google Drive and started sharing my documents out with my kids that way. And then we started doing collaborative work uh, via Google Docs and Google Slides. And I finally realized, I go, look, this is, you know, allowing my students to Show me their creativity. It's, it's allowing us to become more of a community because we can instantly see each other's work and comment on them. It's, it's allowing for critical thinking skills on the fly and for conflict resolution when we're allowing kids to collaborate together and one kid deletes one kid's line and allows us to talk about that. And I go, this is an amazing opportunity to truly create a work world environment in a classroom structure. And that's how Google Fell upon me. Um, I wasn't going out looking for it. It 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 just became you know it rose to the top of all the other tools that were out there, and it allowed my classroom to become a global classroom, a community of innovators that that without it I don't think I would be uh, where I am today with with you know trying new things and being willing to fail. So Google allowed me to realize that as a teacher, it's okay to fail because in the moment, I can change that failure into success.
1: Wow, uh, I'm beginning to understand why you have won all of those awards. <laughs> and, and, and speaking, you're you're putting uh, this in such an eloquent way, in in terms that many teachers agree with. But uh, you know, you've really summed it up, I think, very well. And the way that it has transformed your classroom, and it wasn't just about The tool itself. You just found ways that this sort of flattened the walls of your classroom. And I think that um, that's fabulous. And you have some awesome things and and projects that you are a part of right now that I think everybody would also like to hear about. I want to know what this tacos thing is.
2: You know, so I'm involved with our local uh, college, Fresno State, and we have a teacher pathway program where we're trying to get the students in our community to really understand that, you know, teaching is a passion and we want students who love teaching others to start thinking about teaching as a profession. And so we created this pathway for high school students to start learning ways to create lessons and um, really become that that tutor that becomes a teacher. And over the summer, we said, you know, why don't we create a STEM pathway, a pathway for those you know students who love science, love technology, love engineering, love mathematics, and they want to get into teaching. Let's show them how to start creating lesson plans now and to not, um, to not have any borders and anything is possible. And the first year we did this, we just called it STEM camp. And you know we had a pretty good turnout. We had about 20 students who over the you know it's over the summer and it's 2 weeks before school starts um and we have you know incoming seniors in high school doing this and incoming freshmen in college doing this. And so it's pretty good to have 20 to come out to that but we only had 15 or so signed up this year. And we're like, how are we going to increase the number of students to come into this camp? And we started talking, and we started talking about we got to brand this, right? And um, uh, our local uh, AAA baseball team, they have Taco Tuesday where they bring out all the taco trucks and they sell them and the the uh the baseball team changes their logo to the Fresno Tacos instead of the Fresno Grizzlies and we're like you know what let's ride on this let's 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 do this and so we came up with the Tacos program the technology aerospace collaboration opportunities in STEM we all came up with that and we're like that's amazing and because
0: who doesn't like tacos right
2: exactly and on the fly and i gotta i gotta share this logo with you on the fly i said let me open up the uh, google uh google draw and let me make a logo for us and i so I, I got a nasa logo and i got rid of the um the spaceship and i added a taco with flames coming off the back and, and it came out pretty nice and we actually made shirts for all the kids the taco shirts and everybody saw that was like how can i get one of those we say join the tacos academy next summer we already have about 50 students lined up for that next summer
1: I'm so, so excited to hear about all of the things that you're doing. You're, you're always doing something super creative and, you know, I think everybody can take, uh, pieces away and aspire to be more
0: like Joe every day, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) I totally agree. Especially I, the thing that really resonated with me there was the taco with flames coming out of it.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, if you're going to have tacos, you got to have the hot sauce, you know?
0: Right, right. That is a really good point. That's
2: it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. So Joe, I know that most of your career has been teaching eighth graders science, or at least in the middle school setting. And I was wondering if you could just take us kind of like into that classroom and show us just maybe a couple of quick hits of what were some of the big, um, you know, sort of the big hits that came from your class? What were, you know, Google related or whatever? What were some of the things that, Really worked well in your classroom that we might be able to beg, borrow, and steal from in our own classrooms.
2: You know, one of one of the things that I've, I started doing with my students in the science classroom is following along the interactive science notebook path, which traditionally would be a regular spiral-bound notebook, and you'd write in it, and you'd take your labs and copy and paste them into, like literally, cutting out, copying, and gluing and pasting into the book, and writing your reflections of it underneath, and I was watching our seventh grade teachers do this, because they're big into the interactive notebooking, and I would see them before the semester, and literally it would look like a Dr. Seuss book because – I mean a Dr. Seuss image because you'd have these stacks and stacks of books just teetering on falling over on the teacher's desk. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way to do this interactive science science notebook. And I started opening up the uh, Google Sites to the students, and we started using Google Sites as our interactive notebook. And – all the labs that we had were on Google Docs, so when they were done, they would just embed that into their site. And then underneath, they'd put a text box, and they'd write the reflection. And then we started using the HyperDoc uh, technique where we would highlight certain things, and we would link to other websites where students got more insights. And so that became a huge change in the way that we worked on um, – um, You know, our science and our uh, documenting of our learning. And that was a huge thing for me was how am I going to get these students to learn that documenting their progress and documenting their learning is an important tool not only for them now but for later. And, Matt, we've talked about this before as well where after I started doing that, I came up with the idea of using Twitter in the classroom. Because we use social media to document our lives. We document, hey, we went to this great conference or, hey, we made this great lesson and we posted on Twitter documenting our own lives. Why, why can't we allow our students to embrace social media and document their lives as students? And so we started opening up what was called hashtag Marquez Science. And whenever our students found something of interest that they wanted to share with the class, they would just go on Twitter. They'd post it and hashtag Marquez Science. And… They started asking me questions on the fly. If they had a question for me while I was talking, they would do the at symbol, Marquez Science. And so all of this started opening up the eyes to the kids that social media is not just an after-school thing. Social media has changed the way this world works. I mean social media has toppled government. Social media has led uprisings social media has done a million things for society and changed the way that we communicate as a people why can't we leverage that exact same idea in the classroom and so we started I'm, I'm creating over <laughs> here thank you thank you, you know, <laughs> all from the guy
1: who didn't want to use cell phones in the exactly, classroom
2: <laughs> exactly and you know from from this idea uh, you know it, it's it's Pretty much spread around our campus, having a, a, allowing our kids to leverage the power of social media to promote their learning, and a huge um, a huge question of well, what what are you going to do for those kids that that misuse it? What are you going to do for the kids that that are not using it? I said, well, how about we start training our kids in digital citizenship, right? Why don't we use this as an opportunity to allow our kids to show where they come from, but also. Be the, the originators for some of our kids. Some of our kids have never used social media. And when I asked parents to allow their students to use social media in my classroom, a lot of them said, we're not allowing them to use social media until they're 15 or 16. And I would always ask, why are you putting an age on it? You know, why are you saying, I, I, why not allow them to use it when they're ready? And I go, and how about they learn how to use social media from a A driver's ed instructor, if you will. Why why not allow me to be that driver's ed, that Twitter ed instructor for your students to learn how to use social media properly instead of learning from their friends how to use it improperly? And so that was a huge culture change on our campus. And we actually became a uh, Common Sense Media uh, certified school last year, and we're going to get that again. And I've already talked to the principal at our our, uh, sister high school. Um, about getting their uh, students um, certified as digital citizenship as well because that's a huge, huge area for me that, that I've, I've, I've come, in, come into play. Of if, if, if parents are going to give me the, the, uh, the pleasure of helping their kids out on social media, they're also giving me the reason to, to help their kids out, to put them on a better path once they get up to the high school level.
1: That's so important. I think that positive modeling of social media is something that is really missing. You know, so many teachers are still afraid of it or, or, or think there has to be this, you know, big wall between what I do in my classroom and what I do in social on social media. But um, the kids need that. And I think that's a really exciting program that, that you've got going there
2: yeah thank you we're we're enjoying it and you know I always it's so funny I always say um, especially to the common sense people they make fun of me because I always say there's no such thing as digital citizenship and they always gasp me what? I go it's just citizenship. There's no difference between citizenship and digital citizenship. But I say the only reason we allow there to be a difference is because teachers are afraid to touch the digital citizenship portion. And we allow that split to happen, right? Could you imagine that you have this linear progression of parents and teachers training all your kids all the way through fourth grade and fifth grade and sixth grade how to be great citizens? And then we allow them to go off on this digital tangent where we say, oh, we're not going to touch that. We don't need to. We, yeah. we absolutely do. We need to, we need to prevent that split and just allow citizenship to happen and not allow this idea of digital citizenship.
0: I think sometimes parents are afraid of it because they don't understand it or because they can't keep up with it or whatever. But that doesn't mean that doesn't give us, you know, the, that doesn't give us the permission to just stand back and hold our hands up and just say, well, I don't know what to do about this. We've got to get in we've got to put our boots on we got to wade out into that mud and even though it's not comfortable and it's not easy you know that's that's something that we've got to be willing to to do i think
2: no absolutely i, I agree 100 percent.
0: now if if you're interested in hearing some more about this i've i've got a blog post that i wrote like a couple of years ago um where from where joe talked about using twitter and cell phones in his science classes and um there's actually a whole like 45 minute interview between me and him on um on Google Hangouts, Joe, you're wearing your Google Glass in this thing. I noticed too. <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, I, I had to, It's so funny, you know, I, I had to stop wearing it after last summer. I did some PD in Texas, and the humidity fried it. It killed it. Oh no! Uh, so whenever I go to conferences, they go, "Where's your Google Glass?" I'm like, "Ah, it died. It broke." Because I think I was the last holdout <laughs> yeah. who was still using that, <laughs> using that everywhere I went.
0: I got to tell you, there were some pretty good knowledge bombs in this. You know, a couple of the quotes that I that I noticed were, like you say, they need to know that they're the ones that drive the class, not me, talking about your students. And you say, um, we no longer have to be secluded teachers anymore. Education is a collaborative game as it is. And if you can collaborate in real time, I think we'll, that will up the game for educators themselves. And then my favorite one, you said, technology should always be an enhancement to instruction. It shouldn't take over instruction. Lots and lots of wisdom there from Joe Marquez.
2: Wow, I really said all that? Wow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got it on video too. You can go back and watch it.
2: You know, that, that, that second quote you said, you know, I've, I've been pushing more and more for that to be the reason that technology should be used in the classroom, right? It, it, it needs to be – all of our lessons need to be malleable, right? They, they need to be able to change in the flow of instruction because every student is different, so that it should change based on that. But then – Every period is different. So it should be changed based upon that. And one of the problems I've had in science and, and any science teacher out there listening to this knows that when, when we print out our labs and we have our kids go through it, we always find mistakes and we always make a mental note. Make, let's make sure we go into the computer, make those changes, and for next year… We'll make those changes. Most of the time when we make those mental notes, we forget those mental notes, right? And so we never make those changes. And the next year we do the print the same lab. We find the same mistakes. Ah, I forgot to make those next year. And it never gets changed. And with technology, it allows those changes to be made instantly. And not for it to affect the next students, but the students that are currently in the class that are experiencing the mistakes that we had just made. And so whenever I look at any new technology, whether it be Google or Nearpod or Flipgrid or any any new technology that I find, I always put it through my inspect, redirect, make correct model. And it's that filter that allows me to really take a look. Is the technology student-based? And giving the students, every one of my students, the authority to learn at their level at any moment in my class. And I I have to make sure it fits that model, and that's where that, that, that second quote you said comes into play. At any moment, I should be able to check my students' work and see if they're getting it. And if the majority of the class isn't getting it, I should be able to at any moment redirect the entire class to the correct way to do it, alleviating those misconceptions that they may have heard. And then finally giving the kids in class during the lesson time to change those answers and fix their mistakes. Because we all know once a kid hits submit or turn in, they almost are giving away their work and saying – I'm done with this. You grade it, and I'll take whatever grade you give me. But if you fix any mistakes or any misconceptions during the lesson, they're going to take those to heart. They're going to remember those mistakes, and they're going to remember those fixes. And that's truly where growth happens for the kids. And it needs to be done on a daily basis to ensure that kids are growing daily to become better for themselves.
1: Amen. Woo. <laughs> hey Matt, are you? Did Did you hear those those bombs going off? Because I think he just <laughs> dropped like ten more knowledge bombs on us. I, that That was amazing. <laughs> what it
0: sounded like over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: That's- awesome. Uh, thanks so much for sharing all of that, Joe. We do want to actually uh, be sure that we dig in a little more deeply into the to the lessons and and the learning experiences that are happening in your classroom. And you have shared one of those with us uh, that will be available to all of the listeners of the Google teacher tribe podcast in our show notes at Google dot com slash 24. And this is called the one pager group presentation. Can you tell us a little bit about this?
2: Yeah. You know, so one of the things that I, I dislike about textbooks Right, Matt <laughs> is that right right, yeah, yeah. right, right um, is once they're printed they're done right, and and most schools get textbooks for what seven to ten years, and so you're never really having any current events or any current now stories that the kids can grab onto and say, hey, this is how this relates to me, and so what the one pager does is it allows me to to create a collection of of um, articles that are happening now that are related to our topic of, of, of that unit and allows the kids to go through them on their own and grab the, what they deem as the main concepts the main ideas, their takeaways and It it all happens in under one page for them. It's one page of work to start, and that's why we call it the one-pager. And the way that I start this is I go into News ELA, and I grab six texts and create a text set. And this set has articles that are different, but they all have a common theme. So one of the examples is um, one of our units is on uh, human space travel. Can – you know, is, is human space travel a reality or a fiction that's just going to keep being a fiction pushed off by television and movies? And so we have articles about you know twins going into space and seeing the effects on them in outer space, one going into space and one staying on, uh, on Earth. We have uh, talk about recycled rockets um, so that we can save money and actually make it cheaper for people to get to Earth. So we have all these different articles. About how to get to space, why we should go to space, and the effects on us. And I, we have the kids divvy up the articles. And so not every kid is reading the same article, and there's a big reason for that. Everybody is affected by words differently. Everybody gravitates towards different sentences, towards different topics, they and, and, and different uh, maybe different lines of dialogue hit them harder than others and so by allowing other students to read the same article and then share those experiences with each other we have different insights popping up all over the place and so what we do in the one pager is we have 36 students in our class uh if it's a small class (laughs) and we have um six kids reading the same article all in different spots around the room and they're annotating it and they're highlighting and they're writing notes to themselves all in a hyperdoc style right in Google Docs and underneath that text there is a box that says what's your number one takeaway, what's the summary of this article and bring in an outside picture that represents your article so that's their one page and that usually takes them about a half an hour to 45 minutes but then we get all the kids who read the same article to come together together and discuss the article face-to-face, and they talk about their takeaways and why they wrote their favorite quote and why they wrote the summary the way they did. And so they start talking about these articles and how it affects their lives, and they start to realize, oh, wait, that person picked up on this. I didn't even think of it that way. And so their eyes are – their their minds are opening up to different perspectives uh, from these students. And then based on those perspectives, they take these one-pagers and they create – A slideshow in Google Slides um, on what they've read, and the whole idea behind this is they're going to present these slides to their fellow students. So by the end, every student is going to be presented information on all six articles, but they only had to read one. And then once they're done with their Google Slides, they convert that Google Slideshow into a Nearpod presentation, which turns it into an interactive Slideshow. The kids then have to go in and embed five activities into their lesson, whether it's a multiple choice, a free response, a draw it, a a VR field trip to Mars or the moon. And then they… They present that presentation to every other group, and along the way, they have to screen record one of their presentations and then upload that screen recording to Flipgrid where all the kids can watch each other's uh, presentations after the fact and then leave comments on their presentation style. So not only are we looking at NGS uh, – NGSS uh, – standards being met, but we're also looking at the ISTE standards being met for the, for students' uh, use of technology in the classroom.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So you go from articles to annotating, to reflecting, to creating a presentation, to watching other people's interactive presentations. I mean, this, this has got so much meat to it i mean even if even if someone just takes away one little part of this this is going to be huge so if you're listening to this and you're thinking hmm i don't know maybe i ought to go check this out on uh the show notes page do it go check it out because this is a pretty amazing lesson
1: yeah this is app smashing on steroids thanks joe
2: Yes, and I love I love app smashing. I love it. I love you know it's it's one of those things where I th- every app out there is like a paint, and as a teacher we get to be the artist. In, in, in the hands of different artists, each pigment's gonna in, in, in different orders are gonna create a very different picture. But now imagine that those paints are put in the hands of kids. That's where the the amazing artistic ability happens, and every single presentation by every single group is different. And that's what's meant to happen because those differences get picked up by different groups, and guess what? The next time they do this activity and they present again, you start seeing kids from other groups picking up tactics from other groups, and you have this amalgamation – of awesomeness happening in your classroom before your eyes. you're seeing that communication between the kids you're seeing that community building that they're building between each other you're seeing that trust that and that fear goes away from the first time they present to the last time they present and you truly know they are ready to attack the world once they leave that classroom and that's the goal of the teacher it's not just to teach the standards of your of your subject it's to get these kids ready to attack the world. And everything that I create, I, I try and keep that in mind and, and say, put the power in the kids' hands. Let them be the creators of the content. Let them be the ones to attack the world.
0: And then when they all come together and do that, you have an amalgamation of awesomeness.
2: An amalgamation of awesomeness.
0: Which I think, by the way, would make a fantastic hashtag, <laughs> amalgamation of awesomeness. Or a a rock band, too. You know, know, that that would be a fantastic
2: rock band name, The Amalgamation of Awesomeness.
0: All right. Well, hey, I can't believe how long we've been talking here. I think we're almost like twice as long as we were hoping to go. But there was so much good stuff. There was just no good place to stop. So um, I know our listeners who have just gotten done listening to this will have lots of great stuff. If they want to get a hold of you... Um, I know uh, you're on Twitter all the time at Joe Marquez 70. There's also sonsoftechnology.com. Gosh, that's a whole other area that we could have dug into that we didn't get into. So, uh, Joe, this has been an amazing, amazing interview. Knowledge bombs all over the place. Thank you so much for giving us some time.
2: Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I'm, I'm available anytime.
0: Thanks, Joe. Your passion
1: is just so, it's just so awesome. It just shines through everything that you do and everybody can tell how much you care about those kids. And so thank you for everything that you do. And thank you for being our guest.
2: Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure.
0: The Google Teacher Tribe podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators. Podcasts by educators. For more great education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. Well, Tribe, we've got one quick share from our listeners today, and this comes from Carol Wilmot, and she is an educator in Florida. She's actually referring to episode 22 that we did on Changes to YouTube, and she says, Casey, I'm glad that you mentioned the transcript and captions feature. I wish you would encourage everyone to use captions all the time. Well, guess what? Now we are. (laughs) Because, and she continues, she says, they make media accessible for all. They help students. Students learn to read. 80% of the people who use captions do not have a hearing loss. They benefit more than just students who are deaf and hard of hearing. And she says, as teachers, it is the law that we use accessible media and we should not be using videos unless they are captioned. I, I think that this is just a really good reminder for us that accessibility is everybody's job and that we could all probably use a refresher on making sure that things are accessible to our students.
1: Absolutely. Accessibility is is a big deal. And oftentimes, it it can kind of get, you know, pushed under the rug that we don't always think about it unless we need an immediate modification for certain students. But I totally agree. I think I even shared my little confession in Episode 22 of how I will watch some television shows even with the captions on because it helps me better understand like when they have heavy accents or uh, when they're speaking a made-up language like Valerian or (laughs) some other way that I'm nerding out. But I have found that I have started doing that in my presentations as well, that I will leave the captions on when I show a video because no matter, you know, what the sound is like, no matter where people are sitting, if they can have if they can see that it does give them one extra way to absorb that information. And so I think that um, that's true. You know, that accessibility thing can help all learners, not just um, struggling learners. But I think that's a, a really important thing to remember. And technology has only given us more ways to make things accessible. And I, I think that's an important reminder. So thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, folks, I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Joe Marquez as much as Casey and I did. I mean, I just I just left wanted just feeling totally inspired and you know, ready to go out and, and shake the, the world up, I think, with the, the inspiration and the ideas that he dropped on us.
1: Yes, he was just on top of things and had so many amazing ideas that uh, I want everyone to follow Joe and be sure that you check the show notes for all of his fabulous ideas and resources. com slash 24.
0: I think that wraps it up for this episode and we will catch you all on the next episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Bye, y'all. Let's I was I was about to force like a let's go learn on the loo or oh, let's no. head to the bathroom and I knew as soon as I tried something like that it was gonna sound really awkward. So I'm like let's go. Yeah. <laughs>